Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister announces sanctions against Russia and the deployment of Canadian troops. This involves more troops to Latvia, as well as the deployment of an additional frigate and maritime patrol aircraft. We're doing this to reinforce our commitment to NATO and promote peace and security in Europe. Reports continue The Jean Charest is fine-tuning his plans to run for the leadership of the Conservative Party. A lot of Conservatives are going to have to, uh, must be scratching their heads and going, how are we going to get elected if it's going to be Candace Bergen and Pierre Polyev as the face of the Conservative Party? And the Conservatives make changes to the senior caucus leadership team and shadow cabinet. My number one goal is to bring us all together, to bring us back to being a unified, strong, conservative party. It's Wednesday, February 23rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster, Dan Legere. Dan, good morning. Hi, Mark. Let's start with a very tense international situation that's playing out in Ukraine and Canada's response to it. The Canadian government announced yesterday sanctions against Russia and the relocation of some troops. So uh, this is in this is consistent with the response of other NATO countries, including the United States. Um, so what do you make of all of this and, and how Canada is reacting to it? Well, it's it's good to remember in this situation, Mark, how long and historical the links between Canada and Ukraine are. I mean, there are, there are many, many thousands of, of Ukrainian people of Ukrainian heritage living in Canada, particularly in the West. Um, Canada has had long-lasting links with Ukraine in, in 2004. During the Orange Revolution there, uh, Canadian diplomats were very, very involved in, in, uh, in supporting, in, in helping out uh, those uh, Ukrainians who wanted to break with the Russian-dominated government of the time and the dictatorship of the time. And this has carried through over the years, and it's carried through via our partnership, uh, via NATO, uh, our allies uh, around the world. And so Canada is certainly seen as one of the group of countries that is going to take steps to oppose uh, Putin's adventurism in, in Ukraine and his uh, lust for, for territory, it appears. Um, as always, though, Mark, I mean, Canada's... Uh, power is is measured it's it's we're not an overwhelming military power uh so we're going to try to do our part and uh, i mean sending a frigate to ukraine uh you know is not going to put too much fear of god into the russian army but at the same time it does indicate uh, a certain resolve among western countries and friends of ukraine that uh, everyone isn't just going to stand by and see them get pounded by uh by the Russians. So, uh, you know, these are measured steps that I think you'll see increasing the pressure over the next uh, short while. The challenge, of course, is, as you alluded to, is that um, you wonder how much impact they're going to have. And and uh, I know it's not just Canada alone, as as I mentioned. It's, it's a bunch of countries that are applying this pressure, but it, it doesn't seem like Vladimir Putin is going to change his mind based on any of this. So, um, it, it, does it does it raise questions about the effectiveness of of this type of approach with somebody like Putin? Well, yeah, but these are eternal questions in diplomacy. You know, uh, what do you do when a large 
very powerfully armed country uh, decides to uh, victimize smaller and less well-armed neighbors. So um, this is always a challenge for the international community. Uh, you know, it's, it's only been, uh, you know, in my lifetime that there's been an international community formalized, like through the UN and, and through the Security Council, uh, to to respond to these types of challenges. Obviously, the UN is hampered here because Russia is a member of the Security Council and can veto, uh, you know, strong measures taken at that level. But I think there is a general agreement that there are ways of getting at Putin and the group around him you know these oligarchs and multi-billionaire uh, cowboys who uh, who have money parked all over the world for exactly the same reason that they don't trust Putin either. So you know um, that is how uh, the world is going to have to respond to this, and it's really terrible that Ukraine, in the middle of it, uh, is is going to suffer the most. But I just don't see masses of tanks moving into. Uh, occupied Ukraine, like say, for instance, the way it happened in Desert Storm when they wanted to kick uh, the Iraqis out of Kuwait or something like that. This is a totally different scale, and uh, the complications are in immensely greater. So, uh, but you know, there are measures being taken. The I think the Europeans have been uh, uh, brave to uh, you know stop uh, certification of this uh, pipeline from Russia. Uh, there will be many other measures that will be taken, and uh, the idea is to put the pressure on Putin and his coterie and uh, try to influence things that way. All right, let's turn to domestic politics, Dan. And uh, Jean Charest's name keeps coming up as a potential leadership candidate for the Conservatives. Uh, he is said to be considering it, fine-tuning uh, his his approach to this. Um, and there are people already responding to that. There's a story in La Presse saying that, uh, quoting people close to Stephen Harper, saying that he would want to see a true conservative, presumably not Charest from his perspective, who's, who's more of a, a red Tory. Uh, he would want to see a true conservative win the leadership. So where do you think things stand with Jean Charest and with the leadership race in general? Well, uh, what's a true conservative anymore, Mark? Uh, you know, of course, Jean-Charles famously was the liberal premier of Quebec. Uh, and as you say, a red Tory, we certainly think of him that way as a progressive sort of uh, Tory. Um, the Conservative Party is a party in search of its soul right now from the looks of it. I mean, is it a pro-trucker, pro-anarchy uh, party? Or is it a... Uh, party that tolerates uh, racists and Nazis and things like that? I mean, is that the party that it wants to portray itself to the Canadian electorate the next time out? Um, you know, it's it's really at a knife edge. And, uh, I mean, Pierre Polyev seems to be the the obvious leader right now. And to, to defeat him, I think people in the Conservative Party who are worried about that tendency in the party are going to have to come up with a very credible alternative to Polyev, who has a lot of fans. Um, all of these uh, internal battles, of course, take place in a whole realm that the uh, ordinary voter rarely doesn't even, uh, rarely has anything to say about or touches on until the whole thing is done. So it's a party internal issue. Um, now, 
Harper, I think, merely sending out a message like that is telling a lot of people in the Conservative Party how he thinks and how they should think. He is the founder. He is the iconic leader who kept them in power for 10 years. Uh, and he is the only proven uh, sort of uh, product that the party has ever come up with. So uh, he has immense credibility, I think, within the Conservative Party. And they're going to have to take what he says into consideration. But at the same time, a lot of Conservatives are going to have to, uh, must be scratching their heads and going, how are we going to get elected if it's going to be Candace Bergen and Pierre Polyev as the face of the Conservative Party? Yeah. All right. And let's turn to the face of the Conservative Party in the interim. Uh, the the interim leader of the Conservatives, Candace Bergen, made some changes to the roles on her team. Uh, Eric Duncan, who was the Conservatives' first openly gay MP, was removed from uh, the senior caucus leadership team. He's not in the shadow cabinet. Uh, Michelle Rempel Garner was also removed from a shadow cabinet post. She is uh, being put forward as a potential member of the National Security and Intelligence Committee, which the Conservatives are no longer boycotting with with the suggestion that the Prime Minister appoint a couple of people to that committee from their party. But these are some interesting changes uh, as the party navigates this period between Aaron O'Toole's leadership and whoever takes over next. Yeah, these are potentially important decisions. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't know if, uh, you know, if Rempel Garner and others are, are sufficiently uneasy with uh, Candace Bergen's leadership that uh, she felt they had to be moved away. And Mr. Duncan, uh, you know, I, I really don't know how to read that. I, I, I can't be seeing it the way that some people will in that, you know, as an openly gay MP has been pushed aside. I, I think that would be just plain stupid on the part of the conservatives. But, you know, who knows? I do think, though, that uh, becoming involved again on the national security uh, an intelligence committee, I'm not, that's not the right name of it, which has escaped me, but they have to have people there now, Mark, to, to find out if their names are going to come up in the eventual review of the Emergencies Act that's going to take place. You know, the inquiry for an Emergencies Act is dangerous for the Conservatives. Polyev and others were out promoting the convoy and bringing them coffee and praising the so-called truckers to the highest level. And uh, a lot of Conservative Party members are going to get caught up in this. So the Conservatives are really in a sensitive um, spot right now. And it's in their interest to have people on committees that are looking at matters such as national security uh, at this particular time. So, uh, yeah, it is normal to have a shuffle of of top uh, MPs in these uh, critics' positions. Um, But uh, some of them do seem to be... Uh, spiteful almost, and you'd have to wonder what the what the overall benefit is going to be to the Conservatives. Again, you know, Candace Bergen is an interim leader. Uh, she doesn't have a mandate to make massive changes, but she can uh, tinker around the edges and send messages out, and I think that's what's happening now. Hmm. All right, we'll see what happens, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. That's Dan Legere, longtime political writer and broadcaster. While we will always defend people's right to opinion, expression, and assembly, there are limits to to rights when they begin to impact so severely on the rights of others. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. 
In the National Post, John Iveson argues Canada is in dire need of leadership if it is to drag itself back from the cliff's edge. Iveson writes, The vaccine mandates are a proxy for a broader values war being waged in our society. And if we don't start to understand it and calm anxieties, the occupation of downtown Ottawa will have been merely a prelude to more chaos. Social media is culpable, but so are our politicians. Both the Liberals and Conservatives desperately need to start talking the language of solidarity and fairness if the centre is to hold. At ctv.ca, Don Martin argues, there are no winners in this stew of parliamentary toxicity and flailing leadership. Martin writes, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh has decided the nuclear option is needed for a protest which was far from violent. The Conservatives, too many of whom have canoodled with the convoy, will have to accept a harsh judgment from middle-spectrum Canadians as they look for a new leader. And of course, there's Justin Trudeau, who washed his hands of all responsibility for a problem he created that no longer exists, but needs a law enforcement sledgehammer now that the cleanup crews have arrived. In the Toronto Star, Gillian Stewart argues, rage against Ottawa festered in the West long before the pandemic. Stewart writes, some of the hate for Justin Trudeau is left over from the days when Pierre Trudeau was prime minister and imposed the national energy program. But the hate today seems even more visceral and is tied up with the carbon tax, climate change policies, pipeline politics, and the view that he is not really a man's man. By no means are all Albertans on the Kenny convoy bandwagon, but there's no question that the rage that drove the truck convoy to take over Ottawa is deeply entrenched in parts of the West and is likely to influence politics here for years to come. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will chair a meeting of the Incident Response Group on the illegal blockades and the situation in Ukraine. He will also speak at the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress board meeting. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will meet with the Canadian Federation of Students. Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra will visit a business in Old Castle, Ontario. Immigration Minister Sean Fraser will announce help for the Halifax-Stanfield International Airport to recover from the effects of the pandemic. Environment Minister Stephen Guilbeault will make an announcement on the commitment to protect the northern Labrador coast. Rural Economic Development Minister Goody Hutchings will make an announcement about new funding for safety improvements at local and regional airports in Newfoundland and Labrador. Minister for Women Marcy Ian will make an announcement on funding to support projects that will promote the empowerment and inclusion of black women and girls across Canada. And International Trade Minister Mary Ng will take part in a panel discussion on the Black Entrepreneurship Program. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, February 23rd. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.